Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit Amfem.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hello and welcome to No Pressure, a podcast for creators, theatre makers, artists and ambitious souls. I'm Matt Humphrey, photographer and founder of Curtain Call, and in this episode, I'm so honoured to be talking to producer Rebecca Walcock, lead producer with Hearts on Hook and Immersive Everywhere. This podcast is all about creators and theatre makers like Rebecca, the people that make things happen, who are up against it every day, and yet you'd never know it. This is perhaps especially true right now, in the midst of lockdown, that has been shaking our industry from the very core. As theatres, production companies and venues across the country and the world face tremendous uncertainty and potential closure, we find ourselves at a pivotal moment. This podcast was recorded at the tail end of 2019, BC, before Covid, and a lot has happened since then. You may be pleased to hear that there is a good news story here, as Rebecca's company, Immersive Everywhere, recently announced that they will be opening a COVID-secure, immersive production of The Great Gatsby in London in October. We're always on the lookout for innovative ventures, and it came as no surprise that Rebecca's team and Olivier Award-winning colleagues Brian Hook and Louis Hartshorn would be the ones to embrace the quagmire of putting on a live theatre production at this time. Rebecca, thanks so much for meeting me and for taking part in this. The point of it is that we're interviewing a load of uh, producers that we are really interested with and in and have good relationships with and wanted to see whether you'd be interested to talk with us. Yeah, great. So can you, could you maybe start off by introducing yourself and... So I am Rebecca. Um, I'm a producer with Hearts on Hook and Immersive Everywhere. Um, I've been with Hearts on Hook for three years now. Um, Started off as an assistant producer and I'm now the lead producer with the company. Um, I started life training as an actor at a physical theatre course at age 15, which was amazing. Okay, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I worked as an actor for three years when I graduated um, and just kind of fell into producing because I didn't really know what it was. Yeah. So, like when you're a kid and you think about theatre, you don't really think about so, being so a producer. Go back to age 15, <laughs> which, which campus was it and so what was the course that you're doing? So the campus in Southend. 
Yeah. Um, it was brand new when I went there, and it had loads of amazing circus Clifton equipment. Terrace, is it? Clifton Studios. Clifton Studios, And there's yeah. one opposite the C Campus as well. I don't okay. know if it's still there. It probably is. Um, but yeah, it was just three years of playing on trapeze and hoops and doing a bit of acting and okay. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun. Um, and was that always what you'd kind of wanted to do? Like, I'd always wanted I mean, to work in theatre. Yeah. Um, we, during that three years, we got taught a lot about devising and making theatre and I okay. fell in love with that quite a bit, um, which then fed into my career when I was an actor as well. So right. I worked a lot with other graduates um, creating our own stuff and sort of self-producing without really knowing what we were doing or even that it was called producing. Oh really? Um, what was your idea of producing then at the time? I don't think I had one. I, gen- I genuinely don't think I thought of a person who made theatre happen. Yeah. I just thought it was kind of this thing that appeared I guess so <laughs> very naively. I yeah. guess a lot of people kind of think that producers are the ones with the money that make it yeah, happen. Yeah like the big dogs in the yeah. West End high towers but yeah, we, we were making, it was fringe stuff, so it okay. was sort of, it wasn't West End quality or anything like that, but yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I loved, I loved East 15, I loved uh, the three years there and the people I met, and I still work a lot with the people um, that I met there, Yeah. Um, but yeah, I gradually just fell more and more into making theatre um, and kind of leaving behind the performance element. Okay. Um, my first show that I did by myself, where I was just the producer, uh, was a show that I wrote and created with two graduates from mm-hmm. 15. And um, sort of after that, sort of seeing that whole picture from beginning to end, um, I mean, I'd already kind of fallen in love with it, but I didn't, I couldn't imagine ever going back to just being one kind of cog in, yeah, sure. in that machine, so. Because I guess your interest was more wholesome. Broad, yeah, 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 more broad, yeah. Yeah, so. And those first people that you started working with when you were doing those productions after leaving East 15, yeah. I mean, were they also into producing? Were they also kind of falling into it like um, you were? Or? Well, I mean, some of them now are directors. Okay. Some of them are still performers. Yeah. Um, some of them make theatre still sort of devising and stuff. None of them have really fallen into producing in the same way. Right. Um, I think I just kind of got the bug. Uh, and have just yeah. very actively pursued it since. So. It's interesting because I was unaware of that because yeah. when we met, you were working at Society London Theatre. Yeah. And so I didn't know that there, there was a, a producing Rebecca yeah. or, or even an acting Rebecca. Yeah. Um, I mean, I started working there when I was 23, 24, okay. so quite young. And almost as just kind of a day job that right. I could be in theatre and meet people and learn. Yeah. Um, and that's when I started meeting producers, like the top yeah, western producers imagine. and amazing people. Um, and then from there I learned about stage one uh, and got on the stage one three-day producing course, which okay. was amazing. So remember, for those people that don't know what stage one is? So stage one is um, it's a charity um, for young producers and they do different courses uh, and they also give money and sort of um, invest in young producers as well. Right. Um, the three-day course, I think, is relatively hard to get on to, but absolutely open to whoever. Um, and I remember when I was doing that, I was told by quite a few people that I'd do the course and I'd either love it and just completely go for it or just hate it and run yeah. away. Um, and it is, it's, an inten- it's three days, but it feels intense. Yeah. Um, but I loved it, it. You obviously loved it. Yeah, yeah. it was amazing. 
Um, so yeah, that's that. Well, Salt's how I met um, Louis Hartson, who is now okay. my boss. Oh, was um, he working there as well? Or? No, he's a member of Society on the Theatre. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, and through him, the first play that I put on as a producer by myself was at Above the Arts, which used to be a small studio theatre. Yeah. Above the Arts Theatre in Leicester Square. Um, and from there, I became an assistant producer for Hearts on Hook. Okay, you've accelerated through the whole process I, yeah. really, really quickly. Um, so you, you, you were at Society London for a, a, a London theatre for a few years. Yeah. And then you decide that you need to be a producer. How, how does it kind of work out? An opportunity presents itself? Or? Yeah. I mean, so I started just as a receptionist, mm-hmm. um, which was great because that's where I got to meet lots of people. Um, and more and more I got involved in the producing um, department for the Olivier's mm. um, and that I mean it's, it was a one day big event but what goes into that was the first kind of taste I had of sort of big scale yeah. production office work um, and I loved it and it was exciting and everything was important and needed to happen immediately and um, I just I fell in love with it yeah. um, so I worked on the Olivier's in that kind of role for two years. So This is when it was still at the Opera House? Yeah, well, so for the first two years it was at the Opera House when I was working there and then it moved to the Royal Albert Hall. Mm-hmm. No, I, no, three years Opera House and then it moved to Royal Albert Hall. Okay. Um, the Opera House was amazing to work in. Yeah, like, Really bet. beautiful. Um, so yeah, that was, I mean, that was my first kind of taste of big scale production work and I mean yeah. only then I was sort of assistant producer and stuff like that it wasn't sort of the top line stuff um, but yeah really is that how it. you learn then just through doing it I, I mean, think so I don't think I've spoken to a producer who has learned any other way than on the job mm. um, I mean stage one certainly helps set you up with a basic knowledge mm-hmm. during those three days um, and if you didn't already know or fully understand it kind of reinforces that right um, but I don't think I mean you can't train to be a producer there's no, no course or anything like that there might be one day um, I don't know how it would work because I guess there's so many different aspects to it yeah in terms of team building relationships with other people financial um, oversight and perspective, yeah. I guess. Budgeting. Yeah. What have I missed anything out? Is there? No. It's funny when you say budgeting, it sounds so dry and boring, but it's yeah. actually one of the really fun parts of it. Well, I can <laughs> Putting imagine. together a show from the very beginning and seeing how it can work and. Yeah. Yeah, it starts there. Do Do you get excited? At what point do you kind of get excited in the life cycle of a production? Does it depends. It... Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes we're just sat in a pub and you say a, a jokey idea and then three years later you've got a four-storey venue in Liverpool Street doing Wolf of Wall Street. Um, so sometimes it can just kind of run away and become something like that. And that's how that started. Yeah, yeah exactly. We joked, because um, obviously the Great Gatsby, Yeah. and we were trying to get the IP for another Leonardo DiCaprio film. Not okay. because it was Leonardo DiCaprio, it was just a sort of a weird circumstance um so we just kind of were reeling off different things we could do and Wolf of Wall Street came up and we probably took it too far <laughs> and now it's open and running in yeah. Wolf of Wall Street um but then other times people approach us with intellectual property that they've got or ideas that they've got okay or a script that they've written um and that's also a really exciting way to kind of come in a little bit later down the line but yeah. it's a really exciting project um 
So, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, looking at the productions that you guys have done um, with Hearts on Hook, there's been a number of immersive productions now. There's also been a number of um, adaptations from films um, and some new work as well. Yeah. So there's quite a broad gamut there. Yeah. Um, do those projects differ from each other and present different challenges to you, depending on yeah. what they are? I mean, um, with the kind of more straight musical theatre or theatre shows, um, well, there's a template for it and it... it Bears off from the template and you yeah. have to again learn on the job or make decisions but that's kind of it's it's a thing that people have done for a long long time and it's mm. a lovely and beautiful thing Amelie's one of my favorite shows that we're doing at the moment and that was quite clearly someone came to us saying would you like to do Amelie we said yes we mm. put together the creative team uh, we put together the stage management the cast the crew and that kind of followed all of the nice little building blocks. Okay. Um, with immersive theatre, because it's still a very new, undefined thing, even though a lot of people are doing it very well, we are very much, as a, as a company and as an industry, learning on the job with mm. that. And there isn't kind of those tick boxes just yet. Um, sure. But yeah, but that's so it's an, a relatively an exciting way to be working. So. Yeah. yeah. And the immersive side is a relatively new company, right? Yeah, so we started doing um, the Immersive Brick Gatsby in London in, I want to say, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were in, so we started at Vaults Festival in London. It came from a pub up north before. Um, and then we moved into a disused carpet factory in Bermondsey. And we were there up until September this year. Um, but that was sort of under Hearts on Hook and that yeah. was sort of our big immersive thing. And from there we did, with the same creative team, Immersive Neverland at Vaults Festival, um, Immersive Christmas Carol, which has actually been running for nine years in various different places. Oh, okay. It's still part of that same company. Yeah. Um, so we've been probably dabbling, isn't the right word, <laughs> more than dabbling in immersive yeah. theatre for quite a while. Um, and then yeah you're talking it down but actually you've done some incredible productions <laughs> yeah so, and they've they've reached a lot of people they? they continue to sell tickets it's yeah. going to be very popular yeah well done thank you <laughs> <laughs> I love immersive theatre it's yeah. I find it really exciting and it's I guess it's like the, the furthest we can go with theatre at the moment yeah um, it does feel like it needs to go there though yeah. doesn't it because Certainly there's an audience that um, has never been to a traditional proscenium arch theatre um, but is experiencing theatre th- through these immersive productions yeah. and that's really exciting. That's a big thing. It's keeping people interested in coming to theatrical things. Um, yeah. A lot of people, especially um, since we've moved Gatsby to this venue in central London, mm-hmm. um, and with Wolf of Wall Street, we have a lot of people who haven't been to the theatre or who have rarely been to the theatre or have been to see a bit of panto or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's a whole new introduction into the theatrical world, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't like it. A lot of traditional theatre audiences don't enjoy it at all. But I think it's probably an exciting thing that there's a Marmite opinion on it. Yeah, Better than absolutely. treading the middle line, I think. But, um, Yeah. And it also means that you can use really interesting spaces as well, mm. which this city offers up yeah. quite a few of. Um, we're currently sat in the cellar of 
a big building just off of Bond Street. Um, and you guys have just moved in here. So this is yeah. now your office space as well as it's the kind of resident space for yeah. two productions of yours. Yeah. What else have you got going on here? Um, so this is now our big immersive playground that we've wanted for a while. I like that. Um, I mean, so I, it, this is an old army barracks, which is absolutely mad that it existed just off Bond Street. Yeah. Um, so as you said, we've got two productions here. We've got Gatsby and Christmas Carol currently. Um, we will be putting Doctor Who in here at some point next year. Very cool. Um, and it's just a really... Some people kind of find their niche quite early on and mm. go, well, I'm going to do new writing or I'm going to work on musical theatre. Um, you guys seem to be doing a few different things. Yeah, many pies. <laughs> um, but very su successfully in all of them. Uh, we've spoken about the different challenges of each of those uh, productions, and obviously you're not doing all of these all at once. But typically, like, wh what is the kind of lifespan of a production press night? Uh, okay. So with a more traditional show, um, you would make sure you have all the rights. Mm -hmm. um, that's, we've had trouble with that in the past where rights have been assigned to other people as well as us and we've had to figure out ways around that. We okay. um, went into co-production with the person who had the rights instead of shutting it down. A lot of people have shut people down. Yeah, um, and, and just so people, th these are rights for For the, the intellectual property of the show, yeah. So anything music. that would be attached to it, writing, yeah. music, um, everything like that. Um, if, the, if it's come from somewhere else, making sure that if there's any original producers that are part of that mix, that they're involved in it as well, in mm -hmm. terms of rights. Um, then we would start putting together a budget and a creative team. Mm -hmm. um, so in terms of creative team, we try and... We love working with people that we love working with, but we also try and not close ourselves off to other people. So especially this year, we've worked with a lot of new directors and designers, right. um, which has been really exciting and eye-opening. How do you find them? Talking to their agents, talking to them, mm -hmm. setting up lots of meetings, um, going to see different productions that they've done, that they've directed or designed. Um, it's, I mean, it's a large industry, but it's also quite small in that mm -hmm. way. Often um, you'd bring a name up to another producer and they'd be like, oh, yeah, they're excellent. We work with them on this show or you should go up and see the show they've got on at the moment. And yeah. um, So that's probably the most likely way that we come across different creatives. Sure. Um, the budget is always a fun thing to do because it's this unknown thing that you're trying to mm. account for every circumstance and every kind of contingency you need, which is impossible. Um, do, you, do you start with a kind of wish, is it like a shopping list or do you yeah. start with, we've got X amount of money, what can we do with it? it like which, which one determines the other? So with bigger shows where we'd have lots of investors and stuff like that, we can start with blue sky thinking and then mm -hmm. reduce it where we need to and, and do that talking to the different people involved. Um, with shows we've done like Rotterdam, which is very much a passion project for the company, um, we did kind of have to think, how are we going to make this happen? How are we mm -hmm. going to make this work? Um, and it's a smaller show. Um, which makes it easier. But it, it just depends show to show where you start and what you've got to play with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, do the budget, um, assign creative roles. Production managers always a huge one. Working with amazing production managers has been a thing that we've been very lucky to mm. do. Um, they literally 
put the show in and yeah. make sure everything works. They're the linchpin, aren't yeah. they? Yeah. Um, and they're, all of the production managers we work with, their areas of knowledge is just incredible. The mm. way their minds work is incredible. Um, you wouldn't be able to do any show without them. Um, and they often, if you've got them attached to the show at the right time, they can feed into the budget, mm. which should hopefully mean you that don't go be... too off-piste. Or, yeah, that yeah. was going to be my next question, actually. How, how much is that influenced by the production manager that you brought? It depends on? when they're brought on. We've had yeah. shows where we've managed to bring in the production manager very quickly, um, and they've fed into the budget directly. Yeah. Um, and shows where we've had to bring on production managers further on in the process mm. um, and they very much then just have to stick to the budget that we've created or they can move things around within their budget but it's still a set thing yeah um, so yeah again I mean everything's such a moving goalpost yeah of course it is <laughs> and I guess we, you know with an immersive production yeah you've got an idea of the space already before you even start with again the team, that's very or... different yeah um, a lot of the time we have had an idea and put a show together while still looking for spaces. Okay. Um, or, or having the choice between two or three spaces. Mm. So putting together a budget for an immersive show, not fully knowing how many rooms it's going to have, how much infrastructure you need to put in, um, is another movable feast. Yeah. But Something you don't have to worry about now that yeah. you've got this place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Still a little for places for more exciting um, things, though. I'm sure. I want to go back to a production that you mentioned, which is Rotterdam, because it feels like that was a really special production mm. for, for Brian and Louie and yourself. Yeah. Um, you were in on that from the beginning, were you? Not or? from the beginning. The boys did it. Um, Louie and Brian did it at Theatre 503, okay. um, which I saw and fell in love with and as Brian will tell anyone who listens, ugly cried to quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just probably one of the most incredible shows I think I've ever seen. Yeah. And then I started working with them um, and we got nominated for Out of the Blue. We didn't know we were going to get nominated for the Outstanding Achievement in Affiliate Theatre for the Trafalgar Studios version. Yeah. Um, same cast, same creative team behind it. Okay. Um, and we won, which was... I remember it very well. It was, it was incredible. Yeah. Um, I don't, at, at no point in the whole process of being nominated and being there at the Olivier's did we expect to I mean, actually win. <laughs> everybody says that. Yeah. But I genuinely could see it that yeah. you guys were so pl- pleasantly surprised if by you, this as well. Um, watch it back, you can hear my actual scream echo Amazing. across the all out of the hall. Um, so that was just mind blowing. Um, yeah. And, and from there, we got to bring it to New York straight yeah. away um, from that. That was 59 59 wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. which is an incredible theatre, um, just yeah. off Broadway. And then we did London, um, which was wonderful. Again, we moved back into, well, we moved into the Arts Theatre after our New York run. Yeah. And then we just finished a UK tour this year. Amazing. So, yeah. And you said earlier on that it was a real passion project for mm. you guys. I, I mean, that's so important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but can you kind of distinguish between the productions that you've done and kind of say, well, that one was more of a passion project, that one was a brilliant idea, this one was opportunistic? Yeah. Or, or, I, mean, I can. Yeah. I probably I, shouldn't I, say which one. I'm not asking you to say which ones. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, there's, yeah. I mean, um, the, talking about Rotterdam, it didn't do, it cr- did really critically well on tour, um, but it, it failed quite badly financially. Right. And that was heartbreaking yeah. um, because we all had so much love and faith behind it in a way that another show not doing so well would be really disappointing, 
but not you don't have the same emotional attachment to it. Um, but and, how, sorry, carry on. No, no. I was going to say how <laughs> special for that to have kind of had the journey that it did do because it was such a passion project for you yeah. guys and because you guys believed in it so much and we see this quite a lot. Um, when, you, when you get the right team together and they all believe in the vision and they all believe in this piece mm. and the piece is so special as it was with, with Rotterdam, then yeah. it's, it's going to do well. Yeah, well, we, yeah, I think the blind faith we had behind it did really work yeah. up, until, up until tour. <laughs> but yeah, we, a lot of people saw it and it meant a lot to them, which was the reason that we wanted to do it. Sure. Um, so the fact that that was happening still made it worthwhile, yeah. at least. Yeah. And obviously the, the big win at the Olivier's is like, yeah. a, that's a game changer for yeah. any producer, isn't it? Yeah. I mean... Can you, now that we're a couple of years on, can you kind of look back on that and go life before and life after and compare the two? Is it like that yeah, or is it I more mean, of it, a... it did open doors. Yeah. Um, the company, Louis and Brian especially, met a lot of people because of it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, it, it started off a, a big ride, basically. Yeah, the company, it's gone in three years from being just the three of us in a tiny little office um, just above the art theatre to, I think, in the production office now, we've got four full-time staff um, and one part-time staff. This is separately to Louie and Brian, who run the company. Um, We also have a whole different venue side of the office, which has got six full-time member staff now. So that's just happened in three years. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's incredible. Exciting. Yeah. But also the the productions that kind of land in your lap as well. Yeah. Like people kind of come to you as opposed Absolutely. to you knocking on doors, yeah. presumably. I don't yeah. Know. Um, it's lovely when we get directors and writers and people with just big ideas coming to us and wanting yeah. to have a chat or a beer. Um, a lot of things start with a chat or a beer. Yeah. Um, which is a really lovely way to work. Yeah, um, definitely. So, yeah. Um, I've always been really excited by what you guys are doing and it, I'm always surprised but pleasantly by, by what those projects are and I can, you know, following the Olivier win and I think it was kind of about that time that you were taking over the arts theatre above the arts, yeah. is that right? Well, Louis and Brian ran the, well, Louis was the executive director of the arts theatre and still is Okay. for... He's been doing it for four years now. Okay. Um, I work part-time for the Arts Theatre as whilst I was assistant producing for Hearts on Hook when I started. Okay. Um, and I believe Brian was the operations manager of the Arts Theatre, um, which he's now left. Right. So we kind of were part of a venue management mm-hmm. as well as a, a producing company completely mm-hmm. separately. So... Arts Theatre and Hearts on Hope never really fed into each other. We produced things at the Arts Theatre as producers would separately. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting working in a venue, learning what goes into programming a venue, because it's just yeah. a receiving house, um, and seeing at it from that side of the table, which mm. you don't often get to do in producing. Um, and that's really helped me with um, venue negotiations. Yeah, I'm sure. Knowing what to expect, knowing what's fair, what's not fair. Yeah, having um, been on both sides of it. Exactly. Yeah. So that was invaluable. Um, I don't work in venue management now. That's a separate arm now, mm-hmm. which is great. Um, but I don't, I think the experience of that was really wonderful. So, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, and it felt like you had some some great ideas for yeah. the space itself. And yeah. Now now that I'm sat here in the Casey J Andrews, who designed the original Great Gatsby um, uh-huh. that we did in London at yeah. Vaults and then Colab. Okay. Um, but that's amazing in itself because the design that she did in each place has developed so much. Yeah, so I working can with the same designer over a number of years in different spaces is yeah. also. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, your role as a as a woman producer in the industry. Um, does that matter to you? Is it a, is it a big deal? Is it not? Uh, yes. Um, it's very much a man's world still in theatre producing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's generational as well. Um, a lot of the times, it takes a while for people to realise that I'm the lead producer on a project mm-hmm. or I'll walk into a meeting with Brian and Louis and they'll think I'm an assistant or... So there is, there is walls that you kind of have to knock down a bit that I don't know because I've never done it as a man. Yeah. I don't know if men experience the same kind of behaviours. Um, I don't think it's... Um, I don't know. Do you think that's unique to being a producer? No, I don't think that's unique to being a producer at all. I think um, there are unconscious biases in most industries still. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are fighting to change it, which is good. Yeah. We just still have a little way to go. Yeah. And it's not everyone at all. There are just some people you meet who make a presumption about you, possibly because of age or gender, mm. that you just kind of have to overcome that more than you would if you were older or male <laughs> so yeah, yeah I guess does that uh, drive you more to absolutely yeah yeah um and I, I don't think I've ever been mortally offended by it um and a lot of the people who I've come across who had that presumption at the beginning I've been able to speak to quite candidly and we've mm-hmm. got lovely relationships now where that can feed into it and feed into future relationships with other producers and creatives and artists yeah. so I think it's an important thing to be honest about, to maybe try not to judge, but definitely try to change. Mm. Yeah. So what would you say to young Rebecca who's thinking of becoming a producer? And mm. Definitely do it. Yeah. <laughs> it won't always be easy. Um, definitely but not. But the best things aren't. <laughs> yeah. Like... Um, the highs and lows are very high and low. Mm. Um, and I think it's just remembering when you're kind of at rock bottom that you get the really high bit too. Yeah. Um, so stick with it, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, in terms of where you see yourself kind of going from now as well, like thinking about young Rebecca, I'm sure you had an idea of what could have what could be within your career, but do you feel like you've reached that now or do you feel like they're, no they're still good? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, well, one of the things from East 15, um, my course leader drummed into us was that you should never stop learning and you mm. should never think that you know enough. And that's something that really sort of sticks and resonates with me. Um, and I think you can go as far as you ever thought you could and there'll still be a million miles to go. So mm. I don't think I ever want to stop learning or stop growing or think I've made it. So, yeah. And but will it always be theatre? Do you think? Are you interested in television? Or I don't film? know. I mean, ten years ago I was training to be a performer, so yeah. I don't think I 
can ever sort of say this is it forever but certainly at the moment I, my grand passion is theatre and it has been for my entire life yeah um in one way or another um so probably but it's really interesting in those 10 years how yeah. the industry has changed as well yeah because I remember looking like at a book of like all of the producers in the UK like five or six years ago they Maybe Salt printed it, was yeah, it? Yeah, I think, yeah. Bit, <laughs> there was Salt Numbers Hamburg. There was a thing yes, like that, yeah. wasn't there? Now all online. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and I remember looking, and there was literally a handful of immersive theatre production companies, mm. like probably five. Yeah. And now there's literally dozens of them. Yeah. So that has changed a lot in the last kind of 10 years. Um, and I think, you know, to go back to what we were saying earlier about the audiences, I think, it, I think it's driven by the audiences. Do you, do you see any other trends that have changed in the past 10 years or are, or are starting to change within theatre? I mean, there's a lot of um, revivals and, and making shows of 80s films and stuff like that at the moment. Mm. That's definitely a trend that's been happening for the last three years. Yeah. I mean, I can't talk. We produce Amelie. <laughs> Amelie is my baby. Um, in terms of pushing theatre to places it's not been in terms of trends... I think it's always going that way. Mm. And I mean, if you look at immersive theatre 10 years ago and where it is now, and I mean, 10 years ago, Punch Drunk was doing incredible work and they still are. It was just Punch Drunk, wasn't it, basically? Um, But looking at other companies that we've worked with or speak to will know how that work has developed and grown. Mm. Um, Even in safeguarding, um, having cameras and making sure actors aren't being abused or audience don't feel abused. And like we're having conversations that people hadn't known to think of or known mm. to have 10 years ago. Um, so that it's, it's always evolving and growing and breathing. I don't know if I've got any predictions at the moment. I don't think... <laughs> I need to get my head in the game. Oh, your head's I would have prepared game. a prediction yeah. otherwise. <laughs> um, I'll come back to you with yeah. My, yeah, do. my thoughts for where um, going to And go. you just mentioned Amelie being, being your baby... Why is that and how's that um, Amelie was my first show as lead producer okay. um, from inception um, to to now, where we are at the other palace. Yeah. Um, and I, I love it so much. The tour as well? The tour, yeah. 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 Um, so that was brought to us by um, some producers in New York, uh, mm-hmm. Broadway Asia, um, probably two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd done it in New York, well they did it in Berkeley, um, LA and New York, and it didn't go down very well. Um, and they sort of said, do you want to have a crack at it, bring it on tour, and then probably we'll do an Asia tour, or Broadway Asia, our uh, Broadway and Asian producing company. Yeah. Um, so yeah, started to do the whole process, putting together a creative team, putting together the budgets. Amazing. Uh, we were working with the director, Michael Fentiman, on another project that didn't come off at Vaults. Um, so we kind of just had a beer with him and uh, thought he's probably perfect for the role. Yeah. Um, I mean, just meeting him and his ideas right off the bat, he started talking about how it has to start with an accordion and the music has to be completely Frenchified and brought back to the essence of the film and there'd be puppetry and bits of magic. And so he hit every nail on the head and from there we got our creative team and putting that together all from scratch and the Amazing. incredible actor musicians and then bringing it out on tour and then 
getting to bring it to London. It's yeah. been incredible. So. And, it's, and it's at the other palace for a little while now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, so we're playing until the 1st of February there. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, was, it, was there a challenge with that in particular because it was an adaptation of a film? Yes. Um, that obviously a lot of people love. And, and a film with a lot of effects and a lot yeah. of opinions to mm. attach to it. Yeah, I mean, as, as I'm sure you'll have seen elsewhere, we've always said there's a lot of things that we can't do in theatre that can be done in film, mm. and how to bring that magic to stage was difficult. Um, I think, because we work with all act musicians on it, um, and the minute you see these people marching around the stage, playing their instruments with such skill, um, your, your belief is suspended, like you're completely... Oh, well, well done with that. So talking about the, the audiences and the types of audiences that you're going to attract through the other palace, for example, to Emily mm-hmm. or through this space to an immersive theatre production, is it important for you as a producer to be able to get a diverse audience into your shows? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think especially in the age of Netflix, and I mean Scorsese now writing movies for Netflix and mm. not for the cinema and stuff like that, like entertainment is becoming such an instant thing and I it's hard to imagine a world where theatre doesn't exist but I think it's really important to make sure it continues to exist and Mm. audience continue to want to come and not just sit at home watching Netflix or Amazon Prime in an evening um and that's I mean I don't know what it was like 50 years ago it was probably an uphill battle then with the introduction (laughs) of TVs and stuff like that but it feels like it's getting more challenging to keep people engaged and keep getting people to come back and want to be involved in theatre. Mm. It's highly important and highly yeah. <laughs> difficult and fun and challenging, but yeah. And are you working on anything at the moment that's about to happen that you can talk about? Or? So this time last week I wouldn't have been able to, okay. but we announced Doctor Who last week. Um, so we're working with the BBC on that, which is very exciting. Yeah. Um, that's in itself is just... I mean, that's going to be huge, isn't it? And we get to play around so much with different worlds and universes and time streams and, yeah, so my my brother's actually trying to educate me a lot in Doctor Who at the moment. I'll be watching a lot over Christmas. I was going to ask whether you're a... Uh, Yeah, my family are. Okay. And I've always watched the specials with them at Christmas, but I've never sat down and watched a series, which is terrible. Um, but better, to be honest, because I'm now about to enter into lots of people who know what they're talking about. Fresh perspective as well. Yeah. Um, but that's going to be very exciting. And and you, sorry, you lead producing that? or Yes. Yeah. So that would be... Excellent. Do you see your role now that you are a woman producer within the industry and that you're leading the charge in terms of immersive theatre productions that you have... Can you see that you could be a role model to younger producers and do you see that there could be a lot of people inspired by your journey and... Yeah, I mean, that feels like a big thing. I'm not putting it on you, I'm no. just saying... No, I mean, I, I, I guess when I was starting out in producing, there were a handful of women producers that I really looked up to. Mm. Um, and at the time when I was at Salt, um, Karen Ewling was the president, mm-hmm. um, and that was a really inspiring thing to see a woman at the top of her game leading the charge. Yeah. Um, so to be a role model now or whenever would be a lovely thing and hopefully I do a good job at it if it ever became that. Do do you work a lot with um, the term up and coming talent and like emerging talent? Yeah 
I think that... Kind of at the beginning of their careers, basically. Yeah, yeah. that comes up quite a bit when, whenever our work's sort of referenced. Yeah. Um, but that's, I think that's a great mantle to have. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. That's important to you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, excellent. Oh, well, well done on everything so far. And Thank you. I really look forward to seeing how it all develops. But yeah, thanks again for your time. You know, sometimes boxers or you know, before people get into the ring, they have like a warm-up track. Yeah. Or uh, a piece of music that they listen to before a first night, for example. Yeah. Is there something like that that you would have that you'd maybe put on a Spotify playlist or something like that? I'm going through all of my music now in my head. (laughs) Probably. It depends. I guess it depends what kind of mood I'm in. Yeah. Um, It could range from Cashmere by Led Zeppelin to... Nice. Gold Dust by DJ Fresh, I guess. Okay. Maybe a bit of Kate Bush. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. I love that. Okay, we're going to put... Something like Rousing. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Brilliant. Amazing. Well, thanks again for your time. And um, yeah, see you soon. Thank you. It was a huge pleasure to chat with Rebecca and spend some time with her talking about her career and impressive collaborations. We recorded this in the basement of the Immersive Everywhere venue, just off Regent Street in central London, where the Great Gatsby show will open. For more information on that particular show, you can visit immersivegatsby.com. You can, of course, follow us on at Curtain Call. If this is your first listen and you like it, please rate and review on whichever service you're listening to this on. And if you didn't like it, well, thanks for listening anyway, and peace be with you. Thank you for listening to the No Pressure podcast. It would mean the world to us if you could rate and review wherever you're listening and please subscribe to hear more. You can follow us on at Curtain Call or at No Pressure Podcast. Thank you. and Olivier Award-winning colleagues Brian Hook and Louis Hartzorn would be the ones to embrace the quagmire of putting on a live theatre production at this time.
It was a huge pleasure to chat with Rebecca and spend some time with her talking about her career and impressive collaborations. We recorded it in the basement of the Immersive Everywhere venue just off Regent Street in central London, where the Great Gatsby show will open. For more information on that particular show, you can visit immersivegatsby.com. They're also on all social channels as at Immersive Gatsby. Other very quick housekeeping, you can of course follow us on at Curtain Call. If this is your first listen and you like it, please rate and review on whichever service you're listening to this on. And if you didn't like it, well, thanks for listening anyway, and peace be with you. Okay, I've got my headphones back on again now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um Okay. I'm going to go from Have you got the script by the way? down the bottom of that dock. Yeah, that's where I was going to go from. Yeah. Sure. Okay, taking my headphones off. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.